It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Guess what? Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 596 of Locked On Raptors for Monday, November the 4th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On NFL. If you are a football fan, want to hear what happened as the Patriots lost their first game of the week or the Dolphins won their first game of the season this past week in the NFL, you can listen to those locked on shows and so many more to get all up to date on week nine whatever week it was in the nfl i don't know i haven't watched a second of football all season long and it's been great but if you are a football fan we have you totally covered on the locked on nfl channel if you are a hockey fan we've got Mm, but 25 shows up and running right now, 24 shows right now for your listening pleasure on the Locked On NHL channel. It's uh, very appreciated if you find the shows that you want to support there and like, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff on wherever it is you get your podcasts. So thanks in advance for doing that as well. All right, on today's show, it's just me and I'm here to talk about the Raptors 115-105 loss to the Milwaukee Bucks over the weekend in Milwaukee on Saturday night. A... Noble loss, if I've ever seen a noble loss, I think. It was obviously not awesome to see the Raptors fall to the Bucks, and not, especially after a really rough first quarter where the Bucks completely outclassed Toronto. But at the same time, how can you be mad, really? This was a game where the Raptors were out of it early, and they pulled themselves back into it with a really great middle of the game. And Kyle Lowry had himself a vintage performance. Yes, the Raptors lost, but it was so clear from the outset of this one that the Bucks were treating this as though it were the Game 7 that didn't happen. And the Raptors were treating this as they should have, as the sixth game of the regular season. And I, I, I would have been a little concerned about the Raptors if they were showing the level of sort of intensity and very clear level of giving a shit that the Bucks did in this game. The Bucks seemed very hell-bent on winning this game. It seemed like a game they'd been ready for all summer long and just, like, had revenge on their minds. And, hey, 
congrats to the Bucks for picking up the win and firing confetti at the end of their fourth win of the regular season. I hope they enjoyed it. Um, I just I couldn't find myself to be all that concerned about this game. I, as much as my parents who were watching the game with me, and I, I think I've probably told this story before. I definitely wrote about this as well when my parents uh, came out to downtown Toronto to watch Game Six of the Conference Finals totally out of their comfort zone. They came out and watched it at a bar and ended up celebrating in the square with all the people when they won the game. And they they typically sort of, I think, adopt a bit more of a live and die with every single basket type of approach. And so I was watching the game with them on Saturday. They were visiting me at home here in Hamilton and we were watching the game and they were like very perturbed at the deficit. And I just kept telling them, relax, mom and dad, look, there's the Kyle Lowry championship bobblehead sitting on the mantle over there. I'm wearing a Raptors championship shirt. Just relax. Everything's fine. It's not that big a deal. And ultimately, I think that will be sort of the thing most people come away from this game thinking is that, look, yes, the Bucks won, but ultimately, who cares in the grand scheme of things? This is one of four games against the Bucks to play this season, and the Bucks are expected to win games like this. They're expected to be the better team than the Raptors, and, you know, congrats to them. They had a really nice game. Giannis was a monster, and they got some hot shooting from some guys who had been cold on the season prior to uh, that night that they played the Raptors, and so good on them, I guess. But... Uh, we should talk about what happened in this game from Raptors' perspective and all the good stuff and all the bad stuff as well. Let's start with the good. Kyle Lowry obviously is the best part of this game, even with the loss. Like, I, I just don't give a damn. This was a vintage Kyle Lowry game. We've seen quite a few of these now. Through just six games in the season, I would say about four have been vintage Kyle Lowry games, which is pretty awesome. He was... Dynamite, really the only reason the Raptors had any business even making this a close game in the second half, as he at one point was the only player on the Raptors in double digits, and he had 34 points, and the rest of them like 8 or 9 or 5 points, and it was uh, kind of startling to look at the box score. Pretty cool if you're just trying to you know feel good about Kyle Lowry's ability to carry a team. Um, and he was the reason they got back into this game. He had 36 points, 4 boards, 6 assists, 11 of 18 from the field, 5 of 9 from downtown. The pull-up 3 in transition, my god. It is so very much on and back in our lives in a way that it hasn't been for a couple years now. He had it a bit in the 2017-18 season, season, but last season it kind of disappeared as he changed his shot collection or his shot chart and the Raptors changed the way they were getting to their looks and whatnot. And Lowry became more of just like a pick and roll passer as opposed to a pick and roll off the bounce shooter. That's gone. He is completely free to fire away nowadays, and it looks awesome, and he looks great, and he is just tearing up opposing teams. He gets to the line all the time now again. He was 9 of 9 to the line in the game against the Bucks on Saturday. That is ridiculous. He's been getting to the line at a ridiculous rate, considering it seemed last year like his entire will to drive into the paint was gone. That's not the case anymore, it seems. He seems to have readopted that sort of dive into danger and hope things don't go terribly sort of mentality of play. And that's cool to watch. I still would be concerned about the minutes. He's at 38 minutes uh, again on, against the Bucks. He's averaging 39 minutes a game overall. That's got to come down at some point. And I don't really know how that's going to happen at this point, considering it just, it seems as though it's just something that Nick Nurse is not going to really relent on early on here. I, I would think it's coming at some point here. Not the case in this one. Kyle had 38 minutes. Fred had 41. Uh, we'll get to Fred in the second part of the show where we talk about the bad things. But I thought Kyle was like just outstanding. And it was so fun to watch him drag the team by its ass all the way back to 
you know, being in contention to win the game. They got it to within four late in the fourth quarter, pretty much entirely on Kyle Lowry's account. So that was great to see. Uh, other good things from this game outside of vintage Kyle Lowry, I think OG Ananobi's returns defending Giannis in this game were really encouraging. I had a problem with how little it seemed Nick Nurse was willing to throw OG on Giannis. It didn't really seem like he was willing to do it at all. Uh, he played, you know, I would say a healthy chunk of possessions, but there was a lot of Pascal Siakam guarding Giannis. And that led to a few problems. Pascal picked up six fouls in this game, fouled out. He picked up two early. I think one of which was definitely guarding Giannis. Might have been two. And OG, in this game, even though he was tasked with guarding Giannis a bunch, just one personal foul in the game. And the times where Giannis didn't look like his typical world-beating self were the times where OG was on him. So that was really cool to see. Giannis still finished with 36, 15, and 8 with four blocks and 14 of 20 and hit a dagger three late in the game as well, um, which you live with, I guess, because when is he ever going to hit those? But um, yeah, I thought OG did a really nice job defending Giannis. It wasn't his greatest offensive game, but still he was two of four, he was three of five overall. I would like to see him maybe take some more shots, but uh, you know that wasn't the case in this one. I, I still think OG was... Really, really encouraging defensively and not really surprising. We talked about this on Friday and how historically he sort of seemed physically up to the task of guarding Giannis. And if you're thinking about a potential like second round playoff series, depending on how the seating shakes out with the Raptors and Bucks, it is at least nice to know that the Raptors will go into that with someone who stands a chance. This was the problem against the LeBron teams all those years, right? Is they never had anyone who even sort of had a chance of guarding LeBron. It wasn't until OG was there in his rookie season where they even had the faintest hope and glimmer of being able to slow LeBron down. And to OG's credit, he did as well a job as you could possibly do while LeBron is spinning the ball in people's faces and knocking down 30-footers for fun um, and knocking down runners off glass that we don't need to recollect right now. But I thought OG acquitted himself really nicely against Giannis and in, in, uh, hopefully we will see a bit of an uptick in terms of how often we see him guard Giannis in these big games. I think there's a few reasons for it. Obviously, like Pascal, I think has the length to do it. I'm not sure he's nearly strong enough to stay in front of Giannis and sort of control his just powerful drives into the paint. I just, I don't think, you know, Siakam really has that in his in his game right now. He's gotten bigger, he's gotten stronger, he's just not as strong as you would need him to be. And I think, you know, you have to sort of keep in mind that Siakam is now the main guy for the Raptors offensively, and he's got to have a big burden on that end, and he just didn't have it in this game against the Bucks, and I'm not sure if it was because he was guarding Giannis a bunch, but he was 7 of 19, 2 of 3 from downtown, only one assist in this game, which was a bit of a bummer. Just one turnover, which I guess is a, a sign of progress on that end of the floor for him, but I think the the efficiency, I think you could very much directly tie to the fact that he was chasing Giannis around and picking up fouls doing so, and then you know just didn't have a chance to get into the flow of the game, and it was uh, it could have been better, for sure. According to the NBA.com matchup data, Siakam spent 3 minutes and 38 seconds guarding Giannis in this game. Giannis in those minutes scored 14 points. He was 4 of 6. Didn't have an assist, and that is sort of the interesting thing here, is OG guarded him for 323. Again, you have to sort of work that slider, I think, and have OG of those 7-ish minutes between the two. I think OG should be closer to like 5 minutes and have Siakam near 2. I know there's going to be you know situations where it's cross-matching or there's switches or whatever, but OG should have been on Giannis a lot more in this game as a as I've already alluded to. Um, but in this game, you know, just two shots attempted by Giannis against OG. And I think that is important to keep in mind. The Raptors defeated the Bucks last season by really just collapsing down on Giannis and making it so difficult for him that he had to pass out. And yes, 
they got he got four four assists out of the times that OG was guarding him. But I think you take your chances with this Bucks supporting cast that has proven to be pretty streaky. I would rather get the ball out of Giannis's hands and force a three from Chris Middleton or Brooke Lopez or Wes Matthews as opposed to just letting Giannis walk in and score easily near the basket. So that is something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on next time they play the Bucks. They don't play the Bucks I think until like January or February again. So it's going to be a while till we see this matchup once again. But um, something that I hope the Raptors adjust a little bit because OG, I think, very clearly was the better matchup for what you want Giannis to do with his possessions. OG seems to be able to elicit that a little bit more easily than Pascal Siakam does, who just kind of allowed Giannis uh, a run to the basket pretty much whenever he wanted. So that's important to keep in mind going forward. So that about sums up the good from this game. There wasn't a ton to really glean from it. There was the the great Lowry game and the good OG defense. Other than that, kind of a wash for the Raptors. Just not a crisp performance at all. In addition to the slow start, there was a whole bunch of other not-so-great stuff that took place in this game. We'll get to that in just a second, but first, I want to tell you about Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, at manscaped.com. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so bad stuff. There was a lot of bad stuff in this game for the Raptors. I thought, number one, we mentioned Pascal Siakam. He, it was, this was really his first big test defensively. I know Jonathan Isaac was one, and he really sort of passed that with, if not flying colors, a lot of colors. And it was nice to see him sort of figure out Isaac as the game went along. But this game, guarded a lot by Giannis, it really seemed like he struggled to get going. And yes, the foul trouble, I think, probably played a part in that. Um, but this, you know, he was guarded pretty much exclusively by Giannis in this game. Seven minutes and 35 seconds Giannis spent guarding Pascal in this game. Pascal was just four of 10 on those uh, possessions. He was just one of two from downtown. And it just, he seemed like he was forced to pass off a lot. Only one assist generated by the Raptors out of those possessions as well, where Giannis was guarding Pascal. It just, you know, he was not really equipped for the challenge in this game. And that was tough to see, but I, you know, this is what happens. Giannis is one of the best defenders in the league. We saw it happen in the, in the postseason last year. Pascal was not great every single game of that Bucks series. He had his moments for sure, but Giannis is a defensive player of the year candidate for a reason. And if these are going to be sort of the one or two or three different games of the year where it's like Giannis and Jonathan Isaac and Joel Embiid and just very specific matchups where Pascal really struggles, I don't think that means Pascal can't be something close to a superstar the way we've talked about him really on in the season. I think everyone kind of has those 
bugaboo players that really give them trouble. You know, even Giannis, or, you know, Giannis has been killed by Kawhi Leonard in the past. We've seen like Joel Embiid get completely punked by Marcus Saul. Even the best players in the league have their kryptonites uh, on the on, on some level or another. And so I don't think it's some sort of damning sign that Pascal's not equipped for this job that Giannis Antetokounmpo, maybe the deserving defensive player of the year last season and a likely winner of it this year, was able to shut him down. I think the Raptors can probably make his life a little bit easier. I think they're not running nearly enough high pick and roll for Siakam. I think they're running way too much in terms of just like tossing it to him in the post and asking him to create, running too much ISO stuff. And this is not just for the Bucks game. This is kind of in general. It's been really effective when we've seen Pascal run pick and roll. High pick and roll has been really nice for him. And I think it allows him to flex his muscles as a playmaker a little bit, allows him to work on that off the dribble shot, whether it's mid-range or from three. And it's an important sort of as a testing ground for Siakam, in addition to being a pretty easy way for the Raptors to pick up points, they started to go to the to the Lowry Siakam pick and roll. I think in the second half a little bit in this one as well. They seem to really only go to that when they need to be bailed out and their offense is stagnant. My suggestion is just do that from the start, and then you'll have Lowry Siakam pick and roll tearing apart the, the other team for long stretches of the game, um, as opposed to you know Gasol who's just not really garnering or any, garnering any attention from defenses right now. And same with Ibaka. I mean, there's only so much you can do with an Ibaka Lowry pick and pop. It's great. I love it. It's been successful for years. But I think the Lowry Siakam pick and roll is so much more dynamic that you can easily stick one of Gasol or Ibaka in the corners and have them sort of space out around that Lowry Siakam pick and roll and have that be sort of your pet play that you go to as much as possible because it seems to be the most effective thing. And you could even do, and they did this a little bit when Giannis was guarding uh, Siakam and they were trying to get some switches, they started to have Lowry screen for Siakam. And boy, that's never a bad idea. Lowry is a great screener for his size and Giannis did a really good job of fighting through, obviously, because he's Giannis and they didn't really force that many switches in that situation. But I thought it was an interesting way for the Raptors to go about trying to do it at one of the nice little adjustments that helped the Raptors get back into this game so and it turned out that that adjustment to have Kyle and Siakam really just sort of run everything for the Raptors was a good call because there was not much in the way of Fred Van Vliet juice in this game and that was kind of concerning I I, I think our friend Joe Wolfon made this point on Twitter during the game Van Vliet hasn't looked the same since opening night when he rolled his ankle he looks so fast he looks so speedy on the first step blowing by guys getting to the rim pretty much at will and that has kind of fallen off a little bit here as it seems like he's still being a little bit hampered speed wise by that ankle injury as it sort of comes back to full health I'm sure he'll get there at some point but it just kind of seems like there's always something with Fred when it comes to what derails him from really promising results and this happened last season too he started off great he was looking fast he was looking spry he was looking like a guy who could create offense and create havoc at the point of attack and you know get into the teeth of the defense and cause problems and then he you know his back starts to flare up or it's this or it's that and I just, I'm really concerned about Fred Van Vliet's ability to sustain his very best moments like we saw in the opener where he dropped those 34 points. I just, we, it's just, it's not been that since then. It's been a little bit more labored, a little bit more slow and plodding and kind of back to the worst of Fred Van Vliet at times where it's just a lot of dribbling. It's a lot of probing and looking for something. And in this game, he hit like a big bailout three in the fourth quarter, which was really nice or the third quarter, whenever it was on like a very bizarre kooky possession. But it was still a lot of struggle for Fred Van Vliet as well. Just two of 10 from the field in this one got to the line six times, which was nice. But you know, you can't be taking 10 shots and only hitting two of them. If you are 
going to be like a starting point guard. It, it's just it, we are starting to see, I think, you know, there was never going to be as good as the first game of the season. And I feel like because it was the first game of the season, because it was nationally televised, I feel like the Fred Van Vliet reputation is going to be very much carried by that first game of the year. But, you know, it, it really is important to point out that there have been some significant issues since then. And, and I think we're getting close here to the potential to maybe have to switch things up with the starting five. And I've mentioned this a million times already, but I, I think it bears mentioning again, the minutes problem, it's... Again, you can manage a rotation when you start both of them for sure and and have Kyle and Fred in the backcourt not play a bazillion minutes each and still start them. Like, you can do it. It's just not as easy or natural, and it becomes difficult if they're both going to be closing games and starting games. Like, those are like six-minute chunks right there that they're both going to be on the floor for sure, and then you're stuck trying to figure out the rest of the mix, mixing and matching in between. You know, they're going to start the start of the third quarter too, and it just becomes... You know, okay, well, we can do it then. Ah, no, but this happened, and now we have to play both of them here. And oh, but we can do it at this point in the game. Oh, no, there's foul trouble. They got to be up there together anyway. And it's just, they're not managing it very well right now. And again, I'm still willing to give Nick Nurse the benefit of the doubt here. I think there's probably a good chance this has been like extended conditioning run for Kyle Lowry to get him up to speed after not playing basketball all summer and then only playing one preseason game. So maybe that's exactly what this is, and we'll see his minutes start to come down. But if they don't start staggering Lowry and Van Vliet a little bit more, just having one of them on the floor at the t- at a time, I think it's going to be pretty difficult for Nurse to just traditionally, naturally kind of trim those minutes down just because they're always just overlapping. They just always seem to be on the floor together. And that's not a bad thing per se, but it's just, it's not good. It's, it, it's, we're seeing way too much in the way of a burden on a 33 year old point guard and Fred Van Vliet, who has proven to have some injury history and has proven to wear down a little bit in terms of his back and whatnot. And so I think it's about time Norm Powell gets in the starting five. I know the Norm has not been very good. He wasn't very good again against the Bucks. He's only really had one nice game all season and that was the Pistons game. But I, I just kind of think for, the health of the rotation, it is about time to do it. And maybe it's just Terrence Davis, or maybe it's Matt Thomas in like a ceremonial Luis Scola, rookie Pascal Siakam, you know, starting role. But I don't know how long you can sustain this rotation. I know the starting five has been excellent, and that's great. And you can still close with the starting five with Fred and Lowry in the backcourt in most games. But there just has to be a way to, to get these minutes trimmed down. The rotation was also a little weird from Nurse um, when it came to OG, too. I know I talked about OG in the first first part of the show about how the good the good of him, but um, you know there were the matchup issues with, with Giannis. And also, they seemed to wait a very long time to get him into the game in the fourth quarter. They were going with the big lineup with Siakam, uh, Ibaka, and Gasol together, and Fred and Kyle in the backcourt. And my thinking was... Fred's been so subpar in this game creating that what is it really going to hurt you if you just put OG in, play him at the two, go super big and just go all in on the big lineup and just have Kyle and Siaka run everything, space everything with Gasol, Abaka and and OG and like how much of a drop off is that really from what Fred's giving you because Fred was not giving them much like he had seven assists in this game. Great, but he seemed to be like... (laughs) His assists weren't coming easy. He had to work for everything, and I I just kind of didn't think he really... If there was a game where Fred Van Vliet didn't really deserve to be out there in crunch time, this was probably the one, Um, and, you know, that this decision was made, whatever, but I think that was something that also could have been fixed up in this game to maybe salvage some points at the end there as the Raptors started to hemorrhage. Um, But, hey, you know, what are you going to do? They... they... But what are you going to do? All you can hope for is that the rotation will sort of adjust itself, and Nick Nurse will figure something out here that more 
properly distributes the minutes while also keeping in mind the need for adaptability and whatnot in certain matchups. Uh, and on that note, during this podcast, we have some breaking news coming down uh, that could make things a little bit more difficult as Nick Nurse tries to juggle the rotation. We'll get to that in a sec, but first I want to remind you that Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with 30 bucks off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering the code LOCKEDON at checkout. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, so some news coming down today from Nick Nurse at practice. Patrick McCaw is seeing a specialist regarding his injured knee, and he's going to be out indefinitely. He's hoping to know more tomorrow afternoon after he sees a specialist. That's not great for the Raptors, as they pretty much only have eight guys they trust, and McCaw is one of them. And as we saw on Saturday when McCaw was out, the lack of him really sort of makes it difficult for Nick Nurse to trim down those minutes for Kyle and Fred, who played 38 and 41 minutes respectively. If you were going to pick one of the eight guys to miss time, McCaw is probably the one that they can withstand the most, as you probably just amp up Terrence Davis and Matt Thomas's minutes as sort of a stand-in for what McCaw was doing, but... That's not great. That's not great for Lowry's minutes load. That's not great for Van Vliet's minutes load because, in theory, McCaw is the third point guard on this team who, if he were playing well, could help to trim down those minutes Kyle and Fred are seeing. I'm not really sure what they're going to do now. Maybe this is the time where they start to bust out the Siakam point guard lineups where they run out something looking like a Siakam, Thomas, Powell, OG... Boucher lineup or something crazy like that. Maybe this is where Rondé Hollis Jefferson starts to get more minutes as they use Siakam in more of a ball handling role. He sees some power forward minutes. I, they're gonna have to get creative here because they're running with two point guards, and that was the risk you 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 sort of took on when you got rid of Campaign and Isaiah Taylor. And look, I'm not like sweating the losses of campaign or Isaiah Taylor. I don't really care about those players and I don't think they would have been necessarily helpful here. And I think it's probably smarter to just run Pascal with the ball in his hands more often uh, than it would have been to give those guys real substantial minutes. But uh, definitely something that is going to make this rotation question a little bit more interesting for Nick Nurse to try to sort out because I don't think Nurse is stupid. Nurse knows he can't be playing these guys as many minutes over the course of a whole season and his trusted eight just got dwindled down to seven and but his trusted eight just got whittled down to seven and i'm curious to see exactly how he's going to go about this and this is something i've been thinking about a little bit i wonder if there's a move out there to be made where the raptors can pick up a ball handler and sort of trade one of their excess wings or something to some team that and it's not going to be a sexy addition by any means. I was just kind of kicking around some names on the trade machine earlier today. Um, not really seriously. Dylan Brooks comes up as like an interesting potential two guard who can maybe hold the ball for you a little bit on the wings and stuff like that. He's more of a small forward, I guess. He's not really a point guard, but 
he, you know, th- there, maybe that's an interesting sort of way to flesh out that wing rotation a little bit and give you a little bit more off the bounce juice. It's not sexy by any means. And I do think this probably bodes well for Terrence Davis to stay up with the team. You know, maybe there was a chance that Terrence Davis was going to get sent down to the 905 to get some reps in once that season starts. It doesn't sound like that's going to happen now with McCaw not being in and Davis being sort of the easy replacement. And look, this could ultimately be a good thing because Terrence Davis might prove himself to be better than Patrick McCaw, which I kind of think he might be already. And if that's the case, then maybe Davis just sort of slots in to be that eighth guy and McCaw comes back and is more of a ninth or tenth man once he returns. And maybe that's better for the health of the team as the whole. I'm not sure how much they trust with Terrence Davis right now as the third point guard if he was to you know spell Lowry or Van Vliet a little bit in the backcourt it's you know they're just paper thin right now and that was going to be the thing coming into this season they were always going to be thin but definitely an issue to keep an eye on here with McCaw not being in the lineup and potentially not being in the lineup for a very long time as the Raptors look to fill this ball handling gap because there's got to be something out there whether it's a move to be made whether it's a change with Siakam's role and how he runs with the bench like a wholesale second unit shuffle or something like that um this is uh and, and maybe this makes it more likely that Van Vliet comes off the bench and is just a clear backup point guard to run the second unit and they sort of go with a more traditional setup or maybe they start running Lowry and bench units uh, you know they've done that a little bit in small doses so far but I yeah I'm not really sure how they'll address this it shouldn't matter that much Patrick McCaw is not especially good but on a team that's not very deep this might be something that throws a wrench into Nick Nurse's plans so uh interested to see how that's all going to play out I'm sure there'll be some quotes and whatnot from Nick Nurse coming out uh throughout the day discussing what McCaw's absence will mean, but uh, we can talk about that tomorrow once we come back with another episode of the show. This is going to do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Apologies again if my voice is all frayed and and crappy. I uh, am just finally getting through the sickness, and I think I should be better to go to the Wednesday game against the the Kings, but my throat's been a mess for like a week, so uh, sorry for being a hacky terrible voice in your ear for the last week or so i I very much appreciate you sticking around through it anyway all right that's going to do it thank you so much for tuning in please subscribe rate review itunes stitcher spotify google play wherever you get your podcasts it's very much appreciated all the locked on nba content is there for you to soak up like the little content piggy you are Uh, And I say that with the fondness of affection. I love content piggies. I am a content piggy myself. Uh, There's also the NHL channel too. If you like hockey and you want to uh, dive in on a daily dose of your favorite team, please make sure you're checking out that outlet as well. And uh, that's going to do it. We will talk to you again on Tuesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.